Thank you so much for that beautiful song. Christ before me, Christ behind me. Jesus, I need you. Well, today I want you to look at your neighbor and say, thank you for being my brother, for being my sister. Just look at the person next to you and say, thank you for being my brother. Thank you for being my sister. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you were blessed and that you were a blessing to others on Thanksgiving. Uh, I want to uh, give a special thanks this morning to God for my family. I think we all are thankful for our families. In a special way, uh, Sophia, love you, baby. Yeah, uh, she's my best friend, my companion. And she inspired the sermon this morning because I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my daughter. My son can't be here. We can't bring him to church yet. We're still working on that. But I thank you. I thank God for my family. My daughter down in Mexico and my grandson and my uh, son-in-law. So I praise, praise God for, for family. But you know the modern family is in trouble? I mean, just look around. I mean, you don't have to listen to the news. Just look around. We have so many families going through some struggles, alcohol, drugs, uh, financial strife. Uh, we see a lot of families messed up. A lot of things going on in the families. Uh, a lot of families have lost their mornings. They don't know where their anchor is. They, they don't know where their ship is supposed to be anchored. They don't have faith in God. We live in a very secular society. If you don't believe me, just watch what happened yesterday in a lot of our stores. People are just crazy. Some of them trampling on each other just to get some good. So the family is going through a rough situation today. But I have good news. Amen. God can save our family. Amen. And you know, the, the, the proof of that is that you're here to, today. Amen. So look at the person next to you and say, my family has been saved. Look at the fa- person next to you. My family has been saved. You know, some studies suggest that at the end of, uh, of our lives or when we see, it seems that our life is coming to an end, our thoughts will invariably turn to family and to God. I'll tell you a quick story. There's this guy. He had been working at a company for a, lot, a long time. And the company was going through a rough time. And so they're going to lay off some of their employees. So he gets a call from the CEO, which lives in another state, far from where he was at. It's an international company. And the CEO has asked him to take a plane because he wants to talk to this guy that has been working at the company for quite a few years. And you know what the first thought is, right? I'm going to be one of those that are going to be laid off. So he gets on the plane, and he's thinking, what am I going to say to my boss? What am I going to say to the CEO? I want to keep my job. So he's thinking about his job. And right in the middle of flight, the pilot says, Dear passengers, I have bad news. We're having some mechanical issues. At that moment, he forgets about the CEO. He forgets about his job, and he's thinking about family, and he's thinking about God. He starts praying, God, please fix this situation. Family is so important, and I think that we need to be thankful for our families. And today I want to introduce the topic talking about the family as a system. Uh, The systems theory says that uh, the family or whatever the system is, it's more than its parts, more than the sum of its parts. So family is more than just what we sometimes think it is. 
So I'm going to ask Stuart to come up. You're going to bring your in-laws. You're going to bring your son, your daughter. You bring the family up here. Bring your wife. I'm going to explain a little bit about the systems theory because it's very important for my sermon this morning. It's very important that we understand how the family systems work. So come on up. The whole, and if there's any other family, nephews or whatever, just come on up. Come on up. Yeah, come on up here, guys. You guys, come, come over here. <laughs> Son, daughter, in-laws, come on up. And come on, guys. So I'm going to pick on my first set. Is that okay? I'm okay. All right. Wow. This is more than I thought was going to come. Wow, man. Man, half of the church is up here. All right. So, so here's how the system theory works. The immediate family is a system, mom, dad, and children. So I'm going to have them sit apart right here. So dad, mom, the children over here. Then the grandparents over here, the niece, the nephews over here. Okay, so get together here, there, and there. So we have here actually a few systems, several systems. Okay? But about, now if we think about the systems theories that say that family or the parts of the family is more than the sum of its parts, that means that each one of these could also be a subsystem. That means that mom and dad here, husband and wife, they're a system. In-laws, system. Then we have this siblings, system. Over here, nephews, nieces, okay, another system. Now, if you come over here, with this is another system, another system. So we can create just with this family a whole bunch of subsystems. And the way they get along, the way they interact will determine a lot of things in their life, a lot of decisions that they make in their life. But you know, when we study family therapy, we discover something very important. Even though there's a lot of subsystems and systems here, there's one system that we really have to take care of because on that will depend the health of all the other subsystems in many ways and that's the husband and the wife relationship so this has been studied that's why there's so many books on marriage so many seminars so many websites to help marriages because we know that if we strengthen this system a lot of these other systems will work really well so thank you so much for coming up. It's a wonderful family. Let's give it a round of applause. Beautiful family. Beautiful family, sir. Thank you. So today, my sermon is titled, if you look at the bulletin, what is it entitled? One plus one equals one. So we must focus on our marriages to have strong families. Now, I am aware that the family has some enemies. The Christian family the Christian marriage has some huge enemies. So I made a list of these. First of all, the number one factor in Adventist marriages that have caused a lot of divorce and separation is bad money management. So I'm, I'm really glad for the Financial Peace University that's coming up. Okay, So bad money management is the number one problem in, in Adventist marriages. And then we have materialism. You know, we live in a very uh, a, a, a culture where we just like to consume and consume and consume. And that just distracts us from really caring for our family. Uh, not being intentional 
about growing the relationship or, or prioritizing our marriage. We get so stuck with so many things going on in our lives that we forget to care for our spouse. And it's not like we're bad people. It's that we become careless. Another big enemy is extramarital relationships and one of the big ones, pornography. Huge enemy of the family. And of course, divorce because we're not, we're not immune to divorce even though we're Christian. So we have a lot of Christian couples that are getting divorced. So we have these enemies. But Jesus, I, I always like it when the Bible presents that, 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 that but, right? But Jesus is the family builder. He is the marriage builder. He actually created marriage. So if we go to our verse this morning, Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6, it says, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he, he was speaking about himself, that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus starts by saying, have you not read? In other words, he is quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, right? So he takes them back to the origin, to the creation story. So we're not going to go through all the details. You remember there in, in chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, it's not good that man be alone. And so he, he creates this atmosphere so that he wants a companion. He starts giving names to the animals. And you know, you know how that story goes. And then in the following verses, he puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib out, creates Eve. And, and so we have there the family unit. The family unit was created. The first marriage came into existence. Matthew chapter 19, verse, verse 4 to 6, we see Jesus Christ quoting Genesis 2. Now, he makes a special emphasis because in Genesis 2.24, he only mentions once that, once that the two will be one flesh. But in these verses, in Jesus' day, everyone was getting divorced for no reason at all, for nonsense. Nonsense. It was a big sociological problem in Jesus' days. People were getting divorced all over the place. So he emphasized it twice. There in verse uh, 5, it says, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, they are no longer two, but one flesh. So here we see some very strange math. One plus one is not equal to. One plus one is equal to one. So the word of God said that God took a man. He took a woman. Two totally different persons. He, got, he put them together and they became one. So one plus one equals what? One. Oh, strange math indeed, right? And we need to understand the mathematics of marriage. Here it says that one plus one equals one. So if you want to have a fantastic marriage, we need to hear God tell us this morning, do the math. And that's why I'm here this morning. We're, we're going to do some math. Together. And I know we have some math lovers here. Okay? So, uh, you know, we're, we're serious about this. So let's look at the math. If we do our marriage God's way, then one plus one is equal to one. So uh, Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and 27 says that God made us at his image. And it's interesting because the word God there is in plural. I don't know if you guys knew that, but in Hebrew it's plural, the word God. 
referring to the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we have here the Godhead, three persons. God is a trinity. So we have the Godhead made up of three persons. And it's interesting because when God created at his, at his image, we are also a trinity. You know, we, we, can, we can read in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we have a physical part, we have a mental and a spiritual. So we're also, in, 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 in a sense, a trinity. So we have these different parts of our whole being, the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual. So if we want marriage to be what God has intended, men and women have to be one physically, they have to be one psychologically, and they have to be one spiritually. That's what the Bible is talking about. It says one plus one equals one. So let's start with the physical, okay? One plus one equals one physically. So if you want to take notes, this is very important because the intimacy of the sexual encounter between husband and wife is very important because those two bodies become how many bodies? One body. One body. Sex, according to the Bible, is a gift of God. Amen? Sex was God's idea. Sex is good. But we have to remember that sex is good within the circle which it was intended for. Marriage. Marriage. So the sexual encounter, of course, will have psychological impact. They'll have a spiritual impact. But we have to understand that if we want to be one, we have to be physically one. So let me just say a word of perversion here. Because, you know, Satan likes to just pervert everything that God makes. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, it tells us about all these deviations and all these lifestyles that God does not accept. We, we find all this immorality that is listed there. And God does not accept. He says, these type of people cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we see all these people around us that think that sex is not a holy thing. We see a lot of people that actually believe in our culture that there's nothing spiritual about sex. We, we hear a lot of people talk about casual sex. There's nothing casual about sex. If it's God's plan for marriage, it's not casual. People believe that unregulated sex is okay as long as the two parts consent. That's what we hear. A lot of young people say, no, but she's okay with it. And, and you know the philosophy in our culture is if it feels good, just do it. Just do it. Parents providing for their kids birth control. Isn't that crazy? Parents facilitating the opportunities for them to be sexually active when that's not God's plan. So where there is a sexual relationship that exists outside of marriage, here's what we find. Listen to this, and, and the list probably never ends. Disease, unwanted pregnancy, guilt, it shatters relationships. So, so sex outside of marriage, in, in some way, I would say that it can evaluate what your relationship with God looks like. How important God is in your life. So to my dear young people, please wait. God wants for you and your future husband or wife to be one physically, but in that context, in marriage, in marriage, 
That's where he created it for. Then I have a word about prevention. And I do want you guys to go to 1 Corinthians 6.18 because this is important. Not only for the singles, not only for, for my young people, also for the married people. Okay? So look what it says there. It says, flee, flee, fornication. You know what that means? That means to run. When it's, when it's about sin or immorality, I'd rather you be a, a, a first-class coward. Yeah. When it's about immorality, but it's, it's about a sexual sin, it's about doing something that you know it's wrong, run. Run. The word of God says flee. Flee. There's nothing wrong with running when it's to honor God. So if you're married and you feel attraction to someone of the opposite sex, run. Run. Don't let Satan trap you. And then I have a word about provision. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2 and 3, it says, especially verse 3, it says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So, so sex was not only made for procreation, it was also made for pleasure. God created sex also for pleasure. So there's nothing wrong in the marriage relationship when you feel pleasure in your intimate relationships. It was God's idea. And, and you know, some people have this weird idea that God is looking down on us, and if you're having a good time, it's like, cut it out. <laughs> no, no, no. Anything that God created for pleasure, and you have pleasure in what he has created, you're okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. So one plus one equals one physically, but also psychologically. Because just like we possess a physical nature, we also possess a psychological nature as well. That means that you possess an intellect. You think, you make decisions, you have will, and you use that will. You have that intellect. You have emotions. You feel. You make decisions. So... When we are married, we become one physically, but also psychologically. And, and you know one of the weirdest things, when, when you go and see why people get divorced, a majority get divorced because they're not compatible, please. They're not compatible. I mean, I don't know where they come up with, with, with that idea. You know, Billy Graham used to say, my wife and I are happily incompatible. See, see, the problem with many couples when they have this incompatibility is that they don't factor God into those differences. And so if things don't work out your way, you just throw your marriage out like if it was trash. So where, where's that commitment? Where are those marriages where they would rather die than to allow their marriage to fail? Do I have some of those marriages this morning that you would rather die than to allow your marriage to fail? So this one couple went to a counselor, and after hearing them fuss a lot, he says, isn't there anything that you two have in common? And the wife says, yeah, just can't stand each other. <laughs> you know, so not a good thing. So, so let's work in achieving that psychological oneness. Now, I do have to give you a word of warning 
on the dangers of modern psychology. Like, Dr. Phil, he's a good man, and, and I think he's done some good, but he's not one of the books of the Bible. Okay? And Dr. Phil is right when he abides by God's word. When, when what he says and does, we can find it established in God's word. It's okay. So I'm not saying that these, these therapists and these counselors, they don't have a very special role to play in our society because they do. Especially Christian counselors. When you go to a, a family married therapist that believes in God's word and you go to seek help from that person, I think that person can help you. But we have to understand that they are only right when they obey God's word. Okay, so I just wanted to make that, that word of precaution there. Okay, so th there is a place for, for Christian counseling and for, and for family therapy. Uh, so let's talk about the psychological oneness. First of all, let's talk about the intellectual oneness. And the key word here is communication. Communication. Okay? So, so there's this lady that goes to her pastor and says, Pastor, I want to divorce my husband. <laughs> and so he says, and do you have grounds? And she says, yes, I have three acres right outside of town. You've been there, preacher. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I want to say. Do, do, do you have a, a grudge? And she says, uh, she thought for a minute, says, no, I have a carport. And he says, no, I think she's not getting the point. So he says, um, does your husband beat you up? She says, no, pastor, I get up at five. He gets up at six. I get up one hour earlier than he does. <laughs> and he says, no, no, no. I want to know if you have a case. So she thought a little bit, and then she says, no, we, we own a John Deere. You know, your case is the competition, the John Deere. And so after a while going back and forth, he got desperate. So the pastor just says, just tell me, lady, do you have any trouble, any problems with your husband? Oh, yes, we have a lot of problems. And he says, like what? Well, he just can't communicate. So communication is so, so important so that we can have that oneness. So let me just give a few ideas of how to reach that oneness in, in communication. Listen. Listen to your spouse. Listen to the other person. Undivided attention. Because sometimes our spouse is talking to us and we want to make believe that we're listening while we're looking at our tablet or our cell phone. That's not going to cut it, guys. Yeah, we have to listen to the person, and we have to listen not only to their words. The words are only 7% of what they're communicating. 38% has to do with their gestures, with their, the way they're looking at us, the way they move their arms. 38% of the message. 55% of the message is the tone of their voice. Actually, the, the tone of their voice is 38%. 55% is the gestures. So if you're not looking at the person, you're already missing 55% of the message. And you're not paying attention to the tone of the voice because they could tell you something in a tone that is totally a double link where they're trying to say something else. Okay? So 7% is the words. So please listen to the other person and learn to handle anger. I don't know why we live in such a world where everyone gets so angry. We get angry all the time. And we handle it in three different ways. We can either blow up, clam up, or throw up. Yeah, you know, throw up and you remember their past, right? 
So we have to learn anger management, and we can only learn that from Jesus. I mean, you can go to anger management counseling and everything, but there's nothing like looking at Jesus when he's on the cross and saying, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So handle your anger. Avoid certain words. You, you know there's certain things that you say that really get on your spouse's nerves? Stop it! Don't say those things. We know there's things that are just going to get our spouse upset, and we're just waiting for the right moment to say them. So just avoid certain words. Learn not to dwell on the past. Be careful what you say, how you say it, when you say it, where you say it, and especially why you say it. Because a lot of times we say things because we want to get something out of it. So why do we say what we say? It's very important. Emotional oneness. So if we want emotional oneness, the, the key word would be probably consideration. So if we're considerate with someone, we have to recognize that everyone wants to feel loved. That is just a basic human need. We need to feel loved. And the only way we can feel loved is by the way we're treated. By the way, you know, people give us an encouraging word or, or the way they treat us. We need to be respected. So if you're considerate, it's because you respect that person, their ideas, their feelings. Sometimes we want to make decisions for the other person. We have to allow them to mature and allow them to make their own decisions. We want to make decisions for the other person. So that shows immaturity on our behalf. Every person needs to feel appreciated. I probably told you guys this story before, but I was in a family marriage uh, uh, meeting once in a certain place. And so we were talking about appreciation. So I had the husband sit over here, the wife sit over there, and I gave a sheet of paper. And I told him, you have two minutes to write everything you like about your spouse. And I was surprised when the, when the, when the exercise ended because the first elder hadn't put anything on his paper. And, and I was going to pick on him because, I, you know, he's the leader, right? So I said, read to me your list, elder. And he says, Pastor, I couldn't come up with anything. His wife was sitting right there next to him because I had gotten them back together, you know, to sit with their spouses. And she started crying. And this young man stands up and says, Pastor Delima, uh, 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 please let me tell you something about this lady. She has been the best children's teacher I've ever had. And then this other guy stands up and says, you know what? She's the best singer we have in church. She's the one that's really in tune. Everyone else, you know, we either follow her or we're, you know, we're lost. You know, she sings so good. In just a few minutes, there was a list of qualities that the church members recognized on this lady. So now the person that was crying was the first elder. <laughs> we have to learn to appreciate. So, so there's this couple, couple having a fight because something that we have to recognize is even though there's a lot of things we can appreciate, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. So, so there's this couple, they're, 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 they're fussing, and all of, time, all of a sudden the guy says, I know you think I'm a perfect idiot, right? And she answers, no, I never said anybody was perfect. <laughs> you know, marriage is like buying a CD. You know they still sell CDs? 
not everything is, is digital. They're, they still sell CDs. Actually, this morning, someone gave me a gift, a CD, a Christmas CD. You know, so they're still CDs. But, you know, there's something interesting on a CD. When you put it in your, in your, in your track player, there's some songs you like and some songs you don't like. So which ones are the ones that you repeat? The ones you like. And the ones you don't like, you just skip them. Do that in your marriage. Because in the CD, the songs you like and the songs you don't like, they're on the same CD. So there's pluses and minuses in our marriage. There's always going to be something where we're not compatible. Okay? But if there's more pluses than minuses, then you're ahead of the game. Okay? So, so just make sure we know how to appreciate uh, our spouse. We, we need to know that there's pluses and minuses, but the pluses are always going to be more. So let's work toward achieving that emotional harmony, that, 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 that psychological oneness. So we've talked about physical oneness, psychological oneness, but there's one missing. The spiritual oneness, because we're not just bones and, 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 and blood and tissues. Uh, we don't only have a, a body with organs. We're more than mind and thoughts and, and, and feelings and drives and desires. We have a spiritual nature. We can relate to God. That's why we were created in the first place, to have a relationship with God. So, one plus one equals one spiritually. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I know some couples that they're really one psychologically. Amazing. And they're really one physically. They have really good uh, intimate relationships. Everything's fine. But if they don't have that one spiritually, they always feel that something is missing. Something is missing. They get along well. They have good communication skills. Everything seems to be going fine. But there's always this, this boy. There's, there's always this feeling that, that something is missing. Well, what they're missing is that spiritual oneness. I believe the most important thing that we need to learn in marriage is that we need to be like Jesus. Now, now how does being like Jesus relate to family or, or marriage? Let's go to Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we need to learn to love each other like Jesus loves the church. Amen? Amen? And how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love us? With sacrificial love. He gave himself for the church. He loved the church so much that he gave his life for the church. Now, here I want to make a little parenthesis for our young people that are still not married. They're still in process of finding their their lifetime companion. This spiritual oneness is why God forbids that you marry an unbeliever. Because you will never be able to reach that oneness. That spiritual oneness. If the person does not practice their faith in a way that's according to the word of God, you're not going to accomplish that oneness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 say, says, Be ye not equally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? So unless the Spirit of God dwells in both hearts of husband and wife, marriage will never be all that God intended it to be. So young people, I know you might fall in love with someone that does not believe. 
but that doesn't make it right. Let God lead so that you can have that spiritual oneness even before you get married. That both of you have given your hearts to Jesus. And even if both partners have given their life to Jesus, still loving your mate is not an easy thing. <laughs> and the funny thing is that sometimes we feel the problem is with our mate. No, the problem is with us. Because basically, our problem is that we're so selfish. When I give therapy or counseling, I have figured this out a long time ago. The number one problem is selfishness. That's our problem. Most of us enter marriage not thinking of what I'm going to give to the marriage, but what I'm going to get out of it. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I always ask the couple, why do you want to get married? I tell the gentleman. And then I tell the lady, why do you want to get married? If they say that they want to get married to be happy, those sessions are going to last a lot longer. Yeah. But if he says, no, pastor, I want to get married because I want to make her happy. Wow. That's a different story. But we're so selfish. We're so selfish. The, the best thing we can do to help our families and our marriages work out is to become more like Jesus. Jesus is the example of giving, of loving, of sacrificial love. So some, some married couples have tried everything. They've tried family therapy. They've tried counseling. They, they've done everything. But what they need is faith in Jesus Christ. They need a relationship with Jesus that can change their mindset, that can take their selfishness away. You cannot become like Jesus until you come to Jesus. And that's where the secret is. If we want to be like Christ, he must abide in our hearts. That's what a lot of couples need. So, some folks just need to admit that they're selfish. And they need Jesus to forgive them and to change them. To revolutionize their marriage. Because when you have that, when you have that spiritual oneness, man, the awesome things happen in your marriage. So here's a few suggestions. We talk a lot about the family altar, but we don't talk enough about the marriage altar. Because yes, family altar is very important. But more important than that is that you and your husband pray together. You pray for and with your spouse. So you have to have that marriage altar. The, the family altar, that, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's, that's, you need to do that. But sometimes we forget that if we want that spiritual oneness, we have to pray with our spouse. We have to pray for our spouse. We have to read God's word together. Number two, we need a marriage pew. Yes, we need to have our family life and our marriage centered in Garland Faith Community Church. Because you can have a lot of good experiences as a family, but sometimes we forget that the church has to play a very important role in creating that environment in marriage and family where we have the resources and we have the tools where we can strive. And the church has a lot of good things. So let's take advantage of that. We need a marriage pew. That doesn't mean that, that, the, that the families or the marriages here that have taken advantage uh, of all the resources and things that we do as a church don't have problems. They have problems, but there's a difference. They know how to use those tools. They know how to use those uh, uh, resources in times of trials or when the storms hit the marriage. So this is an opportunity for God to work mightily in your family. And we need that spiritual oneness. 
Yes. And talking about church, some of us have been playing too much in this area, and we need to deal with our, our unfaithfulness and, and fix that. Sometimes we only come to church because the day came out with sunlight. We got up on the right foot, right? So I am calling this morning on our families and our couples to work towards that spiritual oneness. Yes, we must be one physically. We must be one psychologically. But we also need that spiritual oneness where Jesus can transform our marriage and make our home what it should be for his honor and his glory. One plus one equals one. So God does some really strange math, huh? Yes, he does. He's able to take two people that come from totally different backgrounds, upraising, habits, and bring them together in holy marriage and make them one. That, that, that's a miracle. That's something that only God can do. That, that's a beautiful thing. Now, I strongly believe that God has called me to Garland Faith Community Church to work with the family and to work in a very special way with that system that I talked about, the, 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 the couples. That's my personal ministry calling. And I want to be faithful to God's calling. So for starters, I want everyone that's married to come up. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for that oneness, that oneness mentally, that, that oneness physically, that oneness spiritually. So just come up here. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your marriage. I want to pray for your spouse. I want to pray for each of the couples. It doesn't, marry, it doesn't matter how many years you've been married. You still need prayer. <laughs> so just, just come up here to the altar. I want to pray for you. So if you're married, I want to pray for you. Now, God has impressed me. And this has been going on like for several years, and I just haven't been listening to God until this last couple weeks. To create a ministry for couples, not only for Garland Faith Community Church, but for the community. And after looking at how I can patent and get the copyright for my ministry, I found out that that's what it's going to be called. One plus one equals one. Okay? Family ministries. And this next Thursday will be our first meeting because in February, the second weekend of February, we're going to have a marriage retreat. And I want you to be there. Because we're going to share some really, really, really interesting and powerful things. So in order to make that happen, I don't only want to pray for you. I want to see if we can, we can hand these out. I just need a little bit of information, you guys, because I want to have this to pray for you. But I also need to know your date of birth, your cell phone, your marriage anniversary, how many kids you have and their ages. Because that was, this will help me to establish a program, a curriculum accordingly. So I know what type of families we have. What is the, the, the configuration of our family? So if we can hand these out right before I pray and just turn them in when, you, when, you leave, when I'm uh, greeting you at the door. You just turn them in to me. And Thursday at 7, we'll meet here to discover the ways that this ministry can happen in our church. Okay, this is just the first stone of this home improvement project. So let's, let's pray Together today, uh, I really want God to bless your marriage. And the church has a lot of other ministries to cover many other aspects of the family, and I praise God for that too, which I'm involved most of the time anyway. 
But for couples, God has called me. And I discovered this through a whole year of preparation and study and, 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 and praying to God that God has called me in a special way to work in this community, in this church, and in this area with our married couples. So let's pray together. Dear God, we are so thankful because at the beginning, yes, like Jesus said, have you not read? And he takes us back to the Genesis account where he married that first couple on the sixth day and established the family as a holy thing, as an important ingredient for our happiness and the basis for society. So God, today, I want to pray for our marriages. Each of the couples that have come up, if they're together, or maybe just the spouse is here today, but I want a special blessing upon them, Lord. I want your Holy Spirit to take control of their marriages, to enhance their relationships, to strengthen the friendship in their marriage, and to make their marriage have that oneness that you talk about in your holy word. God, they need that physical oneness, that psychological oneness, and that spiritual oneness, but that can only happen when we give our hearts to you and we, when we are willing to allow you to lead. So God, bless each of these marriages, bless their homes, their family, their kids, bless our church. We thank you for our families. And once again, Lord, Thank you for loving us so much. We don't deserve it. But once again, it's that love that, that, that helps us to grow closer to you. It's that love that we don't deserve that compels us to surrender. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.